0: reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? I got an interesting email from a man that said, Carol, would you please explain the difference between shame and guilt? I feel like I have them both. And you know, there is such a simple explanation, but I got to tell you that There is some new research that shows that emotion regulation and affect are greatly, um, how do I want to say this, that that they greatly affect four different areas of emotion regulation that is uh, very, very difficult to manage. And that is shame and that is guilt, and that is humiliation, and that's embarrassment. Now, Brene Brown has been doing some work on this, and we all know that shame is when you think you're a bad person, and guilt is when you feel bad about having made a bad choice, having done a bad thing, and then humiliation is when you feel like somebody directly puts you down in a way that tries to shame you. Um, And, you know, humiliation actually leads to aggression. So we'll talk about that in a minute. And then embarrassment is, of course, feeling silly or stupid for having done something. By far, embarrassment is the easiest emotion to cope with, because you can say, I am embarrassed that I did that, but you don't necessarily take that on. Now, I just was working with a couple where he complained that his wife humiliated him. And when I asked him to give uh, uh, some references of how she did that, he said, she calls me a liar. She calls me an abuser. She calls me an addict. She calls me a domestic violence abuser. She's always trying to humiliate me. And he said, those things have been true of my past, but I'm really working at moving beyond them. Now, the bad news is that uh, when a person, male or female, feels humiliated, They want to aggress. They want to aggress against the person that has done that. I mean, isn't that what we're seeing a lot of right now with the protests and the racism and the police brutality? I am a big supporter of the police. I know that in general the police are incredible people that want to do right. And yet, certainly, what we have been privy to watching is absolutely murder, humiliation, um, aggression at its worst. And so you can imagine if a specific race feels that humiliation, they will aggress. They'll either aggress against the people that are humiliating them, or they'll do something that we talk about in psychological terms. Uh, They have a reaction formation, and they get somebody back maybe in a passive-aggressive way. They do something that's mean or demeaning or dismissive, because they have been humiliated. And so, if you're somebody who feels like you're humiliated by your spouse, by a coworker, by a friend, by a neighbor, you really want to talk to somebody about that. Now, we always say that guilt is a good emotion. And guilt is a good emotion because... It tells you that you did something wrong. And the last time I did something wrong, I immediately made it right. You know, a lapse of judgment, and I profusely apologized to my friend, as well as I made an amends, as well as then I did something nice. Now, I have to tell you, we've talked about the STOP method. If you remember, when you're feeling distressed, when you're feeling disturbed, when you're feeling shame, when you're feeling guilt, if you can use that acronym STOP, S standing for the, the word, just stop yourself and look at your behavior. In my Help or Heal book, I say, please, if you're really doing this, ask yourself, how did I contribute to this? You know, that's the best question you can ask. It helps you to take on your responsibility, and it hopefully will move you in the right direction. Then T stands for take three deep breaths, immediately followed by a smile. Even if you're distressed and stirred, if you go through this exercise, you cannot help but feel better. And then take that smile further and have it float all the way down to your toes. Because it's a way of shifting your energy and making it a different kind of energy. Perhaps an energy that will affect you in such a way that you can then move beyond the despair, the disgust, the disgrace, the depression, whatever it was that initially you felt. So that's T. Take three deep breaths and smile and flutter it down to your toes. O is observe. Observe how you feel when you shifted the energy to something much more pleasant. And then P stands for proceed, proceed with kindness, care, and compassion. And this is the part that I like, and this is going to relate to the mistake I made. I um, proceeded, and I could either do something kind for myself, do something kind for my friend, or do something kind for someone else because what it does is it takes that tough situation and it turns it into something positive. Now the truth of the matter is, my friend lived an hour and ten minutes away, and so I showed up on her doorstep with a gift and an apology card and my heartfelt um, apology. I had already texted her and said, hey, I'm sorry. But I wanted to do it in person so that she knew I really meant it. And she was like, oh, my gosh, Carol, I cannot believe that you drove an hour and ten minutes to do this for me when ultimately I was okay with what happened. It was a mistake. It was a mistake on your part. I felt better. And I knew I would. Now, what do you do when you have slipped or relapsed? You know, your mistake is bigger. It's bigger to you. It's bigger to your spouse. Well, communicating that you know you caused the pain, using that infamous AVR, acknowledging that you caused it, validating how that other person must have felt, so that they know you're putting yourself in their shoes and then reassuring them of what's the action plan to keep you from doing it again. That's really about all you can do. Um, But it's like anything else. You have to be in it to win it and you have to 100% believe that you can keep this from happening again. You know, if you're somebody that you objectify women and there's a part of you that doesn't feel like that that big of a deal, it's a, it's a behavior you want to get away from, but it's not like your old deal-breaking behaviors of prostitution or, or um, massage parlors or webcams or whatever. You've got to know that it is opening and keeping open the gateway to that reward center that eventually will catch up with you. So, on a personal level, it is absolutely not a healthy choice. And then, if you have a loved one and she notes that you have objectified someone. Tells her that you're not in good recovery because good recovery means that you no longer sexualize people in a dismissive or disrespective way. And that's good emotional maturity. And I got to tell you, we're going to be talking about emotional maturity today. We got Patrick Hench on and he is a person that absolutely absolutely believes that there are many ways to increase your emotional maturity. Today, he's going to be talking about optimal wellness, and he, call, he uses a holistic model that incorporates the physical, the emotional, the mental, and the spiritual dimensions at their highest level, and so he's going to move you forward in your thinking, and maybe some of you already think this way, and I hope that you do. That's good emotional maturity. But if you're just on this journey, or if you haven't always thought about some of the things that Patrick's going to be teaching us today, um, then get ready for a fascinating show, because holistic recovery actually embraces recovery by looking at it from all different perspectives. So, Patrick, welcome to Sex Help with Carol, the coach. How are you?
1: Thank you. I'm very well, thank you, and yourself?
0: I am also doing well. Uh, We are airing at a different time than when we're going to be playing this. Uh, Our audience is going to hear this on October 19th. And, you know, I saw what you were offering, our listener, in regards to emotional maturity, and I was so excited about it because that's what I think recovery is really all about. Once the triggers um, are calmed, then it's about developing into the highest level human being we can. So can you tell us a little bit about emotional maturity and how did you get on this road of um, figuring all this out?
1: Absolutely. Um... Yes, so this is this is really the fruit of my own journey. So I myself am a recovering addict and um my journey was long and arduous. Uh, I won't lie, and I went through many institutions, so I sometimes jokingly say that my my uh education in rehab was as expensive but much more valuable than my Ivy League education. <laughs> And um, that's really yeah, what you led me to become a counselor.
0: Yeah, you're am sorry? An absolute, my, my goodness, you're like an engineer or an architect. I mean, you've, you've really created a lot of interest in your life, haven't you?
1: Yes, yes. And, and that's right. My, my uh, background is in architecture, graphic design, And, and I think I've uh, blended that. I didn't, you know, it's not something I left behind completely once I got into recovery and it kind of shows up in my work, as you may have seen, because a lot of my conceptualizations and models, you know, end up being um, diagrams, graphic, uh, and, and, you know, in, in a sense, architectural structural So, um, you know, I think it it certainly informs the way I I approach counseling as well and recovery.
0: Yes, and so if you would, um, you have a website that talks about all the different ways one can increase their emotional maturity. So would you share with our listening audience a little bit about that journey specifically?
1: Sure. Yes, you're you're absolutely right. You know, I think I think um, I, I I think recovery sometimes gets shortchanged, and you know, I really want to stress that in the early stages, even though so much focus goes into addressing the addiction, which usually begins with you know addressing all the negative consequences the powerlessness the unmanageable behaviors and so forth and a lot of effort goes into you know how do we stop this how do we you know how do we uh, abstain from these behaviors but uh, the truth is you know recovery is so much more and and as you said it really is in the end it's really about uh, achieving our, our human potential that I believe we all have and so from that perspective you know, I think uh, we can look at addiction as uh, a huge obstacle or, or barrier that, that separates us from our own potential. So the emotional maturity piece, I think, has to do with, well, I, first I, I think, um, you know, this may be oversimplification, but, but I think we can fairly say that addiction exists in the first place, because um, experiencing being alive is in fact very difficult, very overwhelming. And I think specifically the aspect of experiencing being alive that's the most overwhelming uh, is emotions. And sadly, I think this has a lot to do with cultural factors as well, but we are in a civilization that has, you know, for centuries, um, Fail to really acknowledge and honor the, the, the central place of emotions in, 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 in the experience of being a human being. And so there's really very little uh, positive modeling. There's, there's almost no education at all. On I mean, I've certainly never heard of a, a school program for children that had anything to say about emotions. And so we really, uh, you know, really we come into life um, ill-equipped with how to experience our own emotions as anything other than inconvenient intrusions. So I think addiction has a lot to do with the ways many of us, without the guidance, you know, discover ways in which we think we can uh, control our emotional experience either by numbing, avoiding, or or replacing our emotions. And so, um, you know, that's that's a very unfortunate way to come into life because I think of emotions as energy, and I think of our emotions as really our own life force, our vitality. So, yes, go ahead
0: what well, I was going to say, and if you're numbing them, uh, self-medicating with any kind of addictive um, matter, then you really aren't feeling those all-important feelings that may either direct you to do something different or affirm you or get you to change. And so one of the things that I really noticed about your model, and by the way, it really is an amazing model. He has a diagram of ability and willingness to fully embrace the rawness of being alive. And I I agree with you. I think emotions are nothing more than energy. We are nothing more Mm. than energy. And so, you know, this model shows how abstinence and sobriety are so important, but it's the recovery that actually helps you to embrace the rawness of life. Wouldn't you agree?
1: Absolutely, yes. That's the real prize. You're, you know, you're, you're right, Carol. That, that, that's the prize. And I think many end up in so-called recovery in the program, not realizing, you know, uh, how, how high they can aim. So sadly, often uh, people use the terms abstinence, sobriety, recovery interchangeably, and. When I work with my clients, one of the first things I want to clear up is, um, you know, how they each mean something quite different, even though very related. And so when people have abstained, you know, for whatever, three, five years, I I, I mean, uh, that's commendable because that alone isn't easy to do, but that. Is only the and I when I say that's only the beginning. I don't mean time-wise. I mean I think I think we can get much further uh, in five years than just being abstinent. But 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 without the awareness, you know, I see a lot of people living uh, in a in a state of abstinence. You know, three five years in, who aren't necessarily aware of how much further they could go, and you know, from my perspective, are not living in recovery. And, you know, the most obvious form of that is colloquially known as the dry drunk. So mm-hmm. I, think it, I think it's helpful to, to clarify the difference between these terms, uh, e- even if they just chart sort of a, a path, uh, because each, e- each stage, each, each term, you know, promises something different. And so abstinence really is is nothing more than the cessation of a defined particular behavior, which naturally is very important and is the first thing we address when when someone uh, you know starts to work on this. But here's the thing about abstinence, Carol. It's, like I said, it's stopping a specific behavior. So what usually happens is we start with identifying you know, which behavior is the problem behavior. And generally speaking, um, you know, that, that definition is pretty narrow. So in the case of sex addiction, um, that may be even more specific than just, you know, sexual behavior as, as, as a blanket statement. Um, uh, it'll depend on what, you know, what 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 the addict's been doing to act out, but, in the program, um, you know, those who are familiar with this, uh, you know, there's a thing called the three circles or the bottom line behaviors. And so addicts begin by defining uh, usually a list of behaviors. For example, you know, attending a strip club or consuming pornography or, you know, flirting with uh, people outside of my marriage and so forth. And so we have uh, a list of specific behaviors, which is very important, uh, and now we, we aim to abstain from those, and that's also very important, and I'll also say very difficult, and a lot goes into, you know, how do we do that well, but what that also means is um, it doesn't allow us at this point, you know, in the, in, in, when we're focusing on abstinence, to maybe realize that, if the core issue is the avoidance or the numbing of emotions, at this point it's difficult to appreciate that there are so many other ways that we humans know how to numb or avoid emotions and that we you know, routinely engage in. And so we have a paradox because in the early stages, we have to define bottom line behaviors. We have to abstain from them and get traction. It's... You know, almost like a secret that the counselor knows, which is that later on there will be a host of other behaviors that we might start to look at. I think early on, that's overwhelming for (laughs) you know, it's hard enough for an addict just to just to put down whatever their um, identified addiction is, and so and so it's a paradox. um, But but the implication is that as this journey continues. Other other forms, maybe more subtle forms of emotional masking, I'll call it, um, uh, do exist and, and are you know are very available. We live in a culture that makes uh, all forms of emotional masking extremely available, so it may even feel natural to us. Um, so does that make sense? Yeah,
0: I, Oh, one hundred percent, and so. Again, uh, how do you how do you encourage your clients to trust the process of the ability or willingness to fully embrace that rawness? Because they've been self medicating for a long, long time.
1: Absolutely. So, so usually early on in the process, you know, I don't necessarily bring all of this into view. But um, the, 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 the selling point I do start with is the fact that our emotions are the source of our vitality. And I, I, I think in, instinctively we all actually do want to feel as alive as we can. And what addicts do without knowing it most of the time is they will try to control uh, the, the emotions that arise with being alive, uh, the ones they don 't like or they have difficulty with by uh, numbing or avoiding or, or you know other forms of, of escaping and the thing about that is we can't just. Selectively shut down certain emotions and not others because, you know, if we use this idea of energy, um, our organism, our own body is is sort of the generator of this energy, and so you can't, you know, you can't tell the factory to only make, you know, these widgets and not those widgets. You, you know, either it's running or it's shut down. So mm-hmm. when we're numbing. Because there are very you know, challenging emotions that none of us enjoy. When we're numbing, we're shutting down the whole, the whole system. And ironically, you know as comforting as it may be for the addict to avoid certain emotions, um, they start to notice that they don't feel very alive. Uh, with, and so what addicts also do is I call it synthetically generate fake emotions. And, um, you know, that in the case of sex addiction, uh, you know, we can appreciate that in terms of, so addicts are numbing, you know, wh- wh- whatever they're having difficulty with, let's say, shame. And usually they've done it so well that they don't even know uh, it's there. Because, you know, if, if, if I avoid something well enough, or, or if I avoid it as well as I could avoid it, it gets to the point where i've avoided it so well that i deny its existence because i never see it and so i may be avoiding shame or numbing shame but life feels numb and i don't feel alive so i introduce synthetic feelings and and you know for for sex addicts you know most often that's arousal that's excitement um Sex addicts who are acting out are under the illusion uh, that they're very alive, you know, they're feeling intensely. Um, but as I say, you know, this, it, it, it's kind of like, you know, if we're talking about drugs, it's kind of like using sedatives to shut it all down. But then, you know, I, I almost feel dead. So now I'm taking an upper. And so the whole thing's uh, unnatural. And we're not accessing... Uh, the true power and the true energy of our own natural emotions. And like you said, um, emotions don't just animate us uh, in, in life, but th- th- there's a range of different emotions. And e- each emotion has, has its own wisdom, its own function. So it doesn't just supply us with energy or motivation, but... Um, you know, one of the gifts of emotional maturity is to start to recognize which emotion is arising because the emotion contains information. It contains vital information that is sometimes much more powerful than rational thinking, Uh, information about, you know, what do I need to do next? Because life is about, (laughs) life is about, knowing what to do next at every turn, right? We, we, right? We're constantly faced with stimulus, and the question is, how do I respond? And hopefully, you know, I think in recovery, we respond to the stimulus with the combined wisdom of clear thinking and clear feeling, but we respond to the stimulus in a way that serves our personal purpose. Um, And I think that's when life becomes meaningful. I'm going somewhere or I know where I'm headed. And so every choice I make is about helping my progression, my journey, my meaningful journey towards the things that matter to me.
0: And so I only wish, I only wish that people could follow along with you and um and with this chart because this chart this model is amazing and yet i think you they could have the availability to get this chart how would they do that
1: yes absolutely so the so this chart along you know with uh, a number of the other ones i've made they're all available from my website and there's a there's an uh, online shop section to my website where, where all of these charts can be ordered.
0: Wow. Okay, so they can go to your website. Tell our listening audience what your website, because you've got actually a couple. Are we talking about the Empowered Maturity or are we talking about the NPWRM website?
1: Okay, thank you. So, so the, the website is empowered-maturity.com. And the mpwrm.com points to the same website. It's just uh, a slightly easier (laughs) uh, URL to remember or to spell. And so they're really the same website. The mpwrm is, you know, a shortcut, let's say.
0: Yeah, because you've got a lot of... um... This is a very easy-to-understand diagram, and you've got all sorts of examples of what an addict goes through from the point of, you know, their distress all the way up to their vitality. And you also have almost a self-actualization, if you will, once they have found abstinence, sobriety, and recovery, uh, to give them some real hope that they will be able to manage their arousal, their fantasy, the numbness, and and the reality of things. Um, I was just saying today before you came on the call that I had a client whose uh, partner is so angry, and he's not doing recovery right, so he's got a long way to go. But she humiliates him by calling him a sex addict and a, an abuser. And she um, name calls, which of course throws him back into that cycle of shame. And mm. it's that cycle of shame that we are trying to work clients out of so that they can find that energy to move forward and to make a difference in their own life and certainly the lives of others. And as I look at your chart, I am amazed at how you so succinctly explain um, the cycle. I don't know if you would call it the sexually addictive cycle, kind of like Patrick Harnes has a sexually addictive sure. cycle. But this really mm-hmm. is that addictive cycle morphed with the um, empowerment wheel, if you will, you know, the, the self-actualization that we all want to get to. Just amazing.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Well, I'm really glad you enjoy it. And uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's encouraging to hear that it's, it's uh, understandable as well, because I don't always know <laughs> if what I'm thinking yeah. is only making sense to me.
0: <laughs> right. Well, and, and so do you think people would look at this differently if they are kind of in those early stages of recovery versus they've had recovery, but they've had normal um, experiences that where they don't do it perfectly versus the client that really does, he's got, his, he's got his recovery down, and that means he is looking at other forms of emotional maturity. He is working towards that. Do you think that this map, if you will, means different things if you're in different stages?
1: I, I, yes, I, I, I do think that, Carol. That's a great point. And you know, I think what's very challenging early in the process is that an addict, inactive addiction, or or. or, or well, which is always the case when, when they're at the beginning of the process, um, is hindered by, you know, the symptoms of addiction. And that's where, you know, that's where I, uh, I, I think of uh, addiction or just abstinence as the op- – well, not abstinence, but addiction as the opposite of sobriety – because I, I describe sobriety as uh, clarity of thought and clarity of emotion. And an addict in the early stages is not sober, even if they may have been abstaining for a little while. So without the clarity of thought, that's what, you know, in the profession we we refer to as cognitive distortions. The addict's uh, cognitive functioning is is still... Altered by the addiction. So there are distortions of, of thinking, of perception, which of course, you know, famously include denial, but other things like minimization and, and black and white thinking. So I think a, a, an addict in early stages looking at this chart, um, because of the cognitive distortions, may, may have difficulty. Uh, Finding it meaningful, um, and they may even, you know, try to logically argue against it, um, because, of course, at the deeper level, uh, you know, the, the 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 so-called inner addict, you know, would perceive this roadmap as as a threat to its own existence. So, so I think it starts to make better sense once. Um, the patient or the client is entering into some degree of sobriety where, where there's been enough abstinence that they're starting to notice the difference in experience that comes from having clearer thoughts and, you know, the emergence of, of, of their own natural emotions. And at that point, it might really help them to see this because it sort of, you know, suggests what, what, what can be done, what the potential is uh, with the emergence of that clear thinking and clear feeling, because I sometimes say that sobriety, um, which is the state that naturally emerges with accumulated abstinence. uh, Sobriety is uh, probably the, biggest trigger for relapse paradox why because in that state of sobriety the very emotions uh that i spent my life avoiding putting away numbing are starting to emerge they surface it's kind of like letting you know something thaw from out of the freezer and as it thaws you start to you know get the aroma you smell what that food is And those emotions are the very reason, you know, uh, the addict was acting out to begin with. So, ironically, when the emotions start to emerge, um, there's the paradox of, well, I don't know what to do with them except to go back to acting out, or I don't know what to do with them, but... I see a path, I see a possibility, I see what, what these strange things called feelings can be for me in my life and I have to work now. I have to work hard to learn, you know, how to enter into a different or a new relationship with my emotions so that they do become this amazing source of, of uh, wisdom, intel, vitality, energy, motivation. And so I think that's where, uh, you know, at that point, of the journey I think it's really important for the client to have the kind of guidance that goes beyond congratulating them for the abstinence but that actually you know starts to say hey look so, so you know here's what we're going to learn about the feelings that are coming up for you and and so I do have you know a whole separate model for that um, but I think think sobriety is sort of the threshold that needs to be crossed um, for a diagram like this one to be a source of motivation or inspiration.
0: Oh, I do too. And so one more time for our listening audience, I am talking with Patrick Hench, and he has created a holistic model of recovery, and you can purchase that by going to his website, and that is and I'm scrolling down, uh, www.empowered-maturity.com, and then go to the store where you'll see the holistic model of recovery. He uh, has trademarked that. It's something that I think if you work with addicts, we've got a lot of clinicians. Uh, If you work with addicts, you'll want to have, because it makes it so simple, and if you want something that just kind of inspires you, It really reminds you of how important it is to embrace the rawness of being alive, as Taffy calls it. And, And I just want to share that, again, he defines abstinence as nothing more than the cessation of particular defined behaviors that constitute acting out. And it's sobriety is the state that emerges, with accumulated abstinence, and it creates clarity of thought and clarity of feeling. But recovery is the attitude, and Patrick says, it results from living in and responding maturely to sobriety and is characterized by ongoing connection to the authentic self. And, you know, the sponsors of 12-step meetings that really do good work, say to their clients, when their clients are miserable, going, I can't take this. I hate this. I, you know, I don't want it. And they'll say, stay in that state. Feel that feeling. Don't try to run mm. from it. Don't try to fight it. But just stay with it and see where it takes you next. And that isn't to medicate. That's not to numb. That is to take you to a higher level of self-actualization. And you know, I would yep. imagine you've, you've got how many years of counseling under your belt?
1: Um, let me see, seven now.
0: Okay, and you are a CSAP, correct?
1: I am a CSAT, that's right.
0: Now, have you shared this with Patrick Carnes? Because I am sure he would really appreciate seeing this model. <laughs>
1: Um, I believe you could be right, uh, Carol. I, I, you know, I, I, I would love to, the, the thing about Patrick Carnes is, um, you know, because I, 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 you know, I've been in, in his proximity, you know, many times, uh, including the training for CSAT, but, but, you know, everybody wants a piece of Patrick Carnes. Everybody has something to show him and, um I've just had difficulty, you know, being comfortable being part of that. So 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 the answer is no, I haven't. And and I, you know, I, I make I tell myself that he's a very busy man and he has better things to do than to uh you know look at what I've done.
0: Well I can see why you might say that, but I truly believe he did a show for us and He he was talking about this model without without calling it the holistic model. And I know he endorses this kind of thinking. And, again, I don't know if you had the module where Patrick was talking about leaving legacies and self-actualizing and getting into coaching. Once you really are solidly in recovery – that is for that attitudinal shift, and um, for our, for the addicts that are listening, that do have good recovery, and that really are wanting to take their life to the next level. That's the exciting part of life. You know, you've been, you've done the work, and now the payoff and the trade off is you get to really focus on how do you give back, how do you make a difference. And how do you make your life everything it can be? And so, Patrick, I want to thank you again for talking about this model. I know we're going to have you on in the future because you've got several other things that you'd like to share with our listening audience. So this model is amazing, and you're really making a difference in the world. This is all about your actualization.
1: Thank you so much, Carol. It's, it's been a pleasure to be able to share this and, and a pleasure speaking with you. And I look forward to, right. to our future talks.
0: Absolutely. Talk to you soon.
1: Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. So obviously that was Patrick. And, she, and he has this website. And you can buy his product. I'm going to go over it one more time. It is www empowered-maturity.com take a look at it um, he really is uh, he has really as I, I'd like to say been through a great deal of training and education his passion comes from the convention, conviction that we all have potential to create the experience and the man uh, Got his master's degree in clinical mental health counseling. Uh, He has a master's degree in architectural form from Yale and a bachelor's degree in oriental studies from Oxford. He grew up in the USA, Japan, and the United Kingdom. And so obviously he has not experienced anything small, and he has blossomed it into looking at life from a spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical dimension. So, okay, we will see you next uh, for more sex help with Cheryl the Coach. And as I say, I think Patrick would really agree. As I say at the end of every show, there will only be one of you at all times. So fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. Make it a great week.